Hello, and welcome to the Channel V6 podcast. I'm your host today, David Gale. The Channel V6 podcast covers all the unique and diverse topics that matter most to you, the Uinta Basin resident. You can subscribe to listen to in-depth conversations about the local issues that affect us all. On today's show, we have Bill Stringer, Uinta County Commissioner, and Jonathan Sturmer, Chief Deputy Uinta County Attorney. And we'll get to the topic, if you haven't guessed it yet, in just a moment. But first, let me tell you about Larson Haslam Dental, our premier sponsor. At Larson Haslam Dental, their amazing team is dedicated to not only improving your oral health, but to also restore and maintain your overall health. Are you unhappy with your current dental insurance? Maybe you don't have dental insurance. Well, Larson Haslam Dental has the solution for you. They have the Larson Haslam Savings Plan. Give them a call to discuss the details. Larson Haslam Dental has the most state-of-the-art equipment in our area, providing you and your entire family with all your dental needs. They offer implants, implant-supported dentures, root canals, same-day crowns, and a laser that treats small decay spots and children without getting numb. Lasers for children. That's what Larson Haslam Dental has. They also, uh, they're a comprehensive dental office that is happy to treat your whole family from young to old. They also have the most fun and best staff around. Call them now to mention that you've heard their ad on this podcast, and they will schedule a free consultation to see if the Larson Haslam Savings Plan is a good fit for you. You can call 781-2729 at 781-2729, or visit them online at larsonhaslamdental.com. All right, welcome once again, uh, Commissioner Stringer and Jonathan Sturmer. You know what, Jonathan Sturmer, I don't... Do you go by Jonathan? I know you, no. but I don't know that I've ever called you Jonathan. I go by John because I'm lazy. John, and so. and your official title is Deputy Uinta County Attorney, uh, and we are here to talk specifically about something that happened a little while ago, but we're we're just now getting to it. Still relevant. Uh, it is an ordinance that was passed um, back in it was it was this January. year back in January yeah. uh, by the Uinta County Commission designating the county as a Second Amendment Sanctuary County. Now, we're going to assume, well, first, let me back up a little bit and and uh, preamble this with um, my own lack of knowledge. Now, I've, I've read a little bit. I wasn't living here when this happened. I just recently moved back. And so I've done just a little bit of research, but I am no county commissioner and I am no attorney, which are you guys. And so... I will be asking questions probably from the standpoint of the layman, and uh, I may push back uh, a little bit on responses that you have, realizing that I don't have the same education as you do on this matter. Um, just know that's my job, and hopefully we can all get to uh, some understanding of, of what this is, um, why it's in place now, and, and how you feel it's going to, to benefit the county. Um, yeah. So to start with, uh, I'll, I'll let you introduce yourselves so we know which voice is which and um, let you decide. Maybe we can just start with what exactly um, the ordinance is, what it is not, and maybe some of the background of, of how we got to, to the passing of it back in January. Commissioner? Sounds good. Um, I'm Commissioner Bill Stringer. This is my, I'm finishing my sixth year as a commissioner here in Uinta County. And I'll just give a, I'll set the stage up for John, if I could. As you mentioned, this was passed on January 29th, I believe, of this year. 27th. 27th. And 
that seems like a world away to a lot of folks because we've had uh, the COVID issues that popped up. They were starting to make noise around that time, but no one, it really wasn't intruding into everyday life the way it did come about March or so. But what was going on in January of this year was the state of Virginia had its state legislature had come around to the position that they were going to impinge upon what what we believe were our Second Amendment rights with respect to firearm ownership, um, sales, other a whole assault on on firearms with respect to the people and the people's rights under the Second Amendment. So that didn't go without notice. And I, I believe there was actually another state that was toying with similar ideas, but Virginia was in the news. It was all over the place. Um, the governor, the both houses of the legislature had turned Democratic or Democrat, um, well, probably not Democratic, Democrat, and they were formulating this a whole set of laws. So as we looked at that, we we came away thinking that's not what we want to see here. And with that, I'll go ahead and give that, um, let John say a little bit more along those lines. Okay. Uh, yeah. So just to introduce, so I'm John Sturmer. I've been in the county attorney's office since November of 2011 and worked for Duchesne County and Daggett County before that, so um, since 2007. So local government, I'm a local government guy. Uh, live it, love it, think it's the best form of government we can have. States and feds should be there to take care of bigger ills that can't be solved at the local level. If it can be solved at the local level, let's just let let them do it. So um, with that, I, I think that was a, a great um, introduction to the the issue and being a local government guy, I am not opposed to certain jurisdictions wanting to within their own community, maybe have slight vari variations of how they want to live in their society. The problem is when we have overarching state government, uh, overarching federal government that want to impose these wide far reaching national or state standards that attack fundamental rights. And that's really what this is This is about. Um, there are certain constitutional rights that are uh, that can and should be protected, and they can only be limited in certain circumstances, very limited circumstances. So that's, that's really what this all was about, is standing up for what the law actually is, not trying to impose an additional law. Right. So, so the, the background, again, is... Um, there's some stuff happening in some other states, but particularly in Virginia, we're seeing that rights might be being infringed um, or soon to be infringed upon. Can you elaborate more on what those rights were? What were the laws that Virginia was trying to put in place or did put in place? With the passage of time, I'm a, I'm a little, I'm a little um, blurry on exactly what it was, but it's, it's, the, it's the same tired approach of trying to define what is military grade uh, firearms trying to impose okay. uh, restrictions of how many bullets uh, a, a certain weapon can carry 
um, some of it is equipment that can upgrade a certain firearm. That was one of the key points in the Virginia legislation that you heard like bump stocks. That's a term that has been kicked around piece of equipment that has uh, been debated for quite some time now with some very tragic events that happened in our, in our country. So not, not wanting to downplay any of that. It's just, yeah, there's certain pieces of upgrade equipment you can put on firearms and does the state or the federal government have the ability to limit um, th those types of upgrades. Um, I don't think Virginia was getting into at that time a year ago, basically 10 months ago. I don't think they were getting into the type of people who can own firearms. I think it was more dealing with equipment and purchases. I don't, I don't think they, mental health was being kicked around though, wasn't yes. it at the same time? So I think there were some mental health issues that were being kicked around as well on limiting people's ownership based off of psychological red flag laws. There we red go. Flag laws. Now, now my mind yes. is kicking in. <laughs> Just have to start talking and go. then the filing cabinets start opening up in my brain. Uh, but the red flag laws, and that became very concerning because who has the ability to tag somebody, flag somebody, I should say, and then what is the standard mm -hmm. uh, when you do not have a judicial hearing and they can just come in pre-hearing and start pulling people's firearms because there's a perceived threat rather than an actual defined threat. Gotcha. Okay, so all of this is bubbling up, and uh, how does it uh, coalesce as far as the commission goes? Was was this something that you had heard about that you, you guys talked about in the office? It, it was something that we talked about, but I think John actually put some meat on the bones from the commission standpoint. And I don't want to speak for the sheriff, but I've, I've heard enough from, from our sheriff as well as those several around the state. The red flag laws, and before I go into those any in depth, let's just say the commission, um, and John can, I think, concurs with this. There is no doubt that the Second Amendment is blind to the fact that there are certain individuals whom there are real concerns about whether they should have access or own firearms. Uh, I think I don't. I think there's pretty much universal agreement that it's not a right. It doesn't matter what you've done, where you've been. Right. You. you there can be some limitations, and probably should be. The red flag laws that were, or issues that were being considered, were in and of themselves maybe had some validity, but the, the levels that they were being talked about, and this is what our sheriff, one of the things the sheriffs would say, is it enough for me to look at my neighbor who I've been having a problem with, let's, let's say, um, his crabgrass or her crabgrass or not picking up their trash when I think they ought to pick up their trash. And I know they have weapons and I call the police and say, I, I'm warning, I think this person is, is going to have a problem. And the sheriff, without due process, without anything other than that phone call, shows up and says, we need to take your weapons because... Okay. Um, a red flag has been raised. That can be inherently dangerous to show up at someone's house. How do you how do you go about entering a home 
and retrieving firearms uh, when you really don't have anything other than a phone call. That It just opens a can of worms right there. And so those were the things that were bothersome to, to us, not as a firearm owner um, and saying, well, I oppose any and all infringements upon the Second Amendment. It's more about how it's being done and to what level it intrudes without some sort of legal framework. Okay. So it, it, it seems that you as, as government officials were looking at another state and its potential overreach into people's constitutional rights and looking at our state and saying, could this happen here as well? And what do we do then to try to prevent that from happening? Is, is that the case? It, it is. And we were aware, not we hadn't seen anything in writing, but there had been discussions at our state legislature or at least uh, accountings of, of some, some of our state legislators who had different versions of a, quote, red flag bill. And so that gives us concern. It doesn't mean that there were, we hadn't seen one. We didn't know what exactly was there, but we just wanted to be sure that we were speaking for you in a county and saying, if you do have an idea that maybe a red flag law is something that should come to Utah, it needs to be well thought out. It needs to consider the impacts on local jurisdictions, law enforcement, as well as the executive body to say, don't set us up with something that is going to be dangerous to our citizens and to our police and don't do something that takes away the the rights of law-abiding citizens. Now, as I've read the ordinance, it doesn't appear that it directly addresses red flag laws. Um, it may be in a roundabout way. Was, in fact, maybe I should back up here. Uh, perhaps we should, um, assuming that we have um, listeners who haven't actually seen or know the details of this ordinance, what does the ordinance lay out specifically? And then we can talk about how it addresses both the red flag law concerns and any other uh, concerns that we, we have that, that the state or the federal government might bring in the future. It's kind of like reading an owner's manual of a car. It's, it's, <laughs> it's not the, the it's... most enticing language, uh, which is the way ordinances are. The, the topic is fun and, uh, worthy well, for we, robust conversation, but there are some highlights that we yeah, can Can, can we, um, without necessarily getting into um, all of the whereases, that um, we talk about what are the, the primary um, either either restrictions or the stopping of restrictions that uh, that the ordinance lays out? The, the, the key part is where we're defining what an unlawful act is. Okay. So if there's an unlawful state act, federal act, uh, we're not going to enforce it here in Uinta County, so that that's really the the crux of the matter. Okay, um, and then that's defined as the it, it's in nine one ten unlawful act shall consist of any federal or state act, law, order, rule, or regulation which restricts an individual's constitutional right to keep and bear arms. So that that could be red flag laws. Okay, the restriction a restricting of the the of, person's ability okay. to bear arms. Okay. Then it gets into um, registration of firearms. 
that's a, that's another potential restriction there on your constitutional right. And then it deals with the actual accessories and ammunition uh, that, that are associated with firearms. So within that one paragraph, it, okay. it, it's essentially dealing with three different um, limitations on this fundamental right. And that was the restriction of the firearm to an individual. The person to be able to hold the firearm. Right. The making no law to restrict uh, the registration, or no, not to register, mm-hmm. meaning, uh, and, and, and I'm assuming when we talk about registration, that that, that kind of fits into the, the tracking of someone mm-hmm. who has a firearm. Um, and we'll get more into depth on all of these in just a second. I just want to make sure I understood everything yeah. in this first paragraph. And then the third one is, uh, did you say um, accessories? The, fire, the firearm itself and the ammunition. So okay. then you actually have the object. What, what are some rules or, or regs that can be imposed that affect the object, things that can affect the, the, trans, the financial transaction of the okay. sale of firearms, and then the person. So those three things, person, sale, object. Okay, and I'll, we'll have to come back to this several times is, as legally speaking, you got to make sure I don't uh, you know, go off in, in the wrong direction because I understand that these things in written documents have a very specific meaning. And oftentimes as people... Uh, hear about them, sometimes they get those confused with uh, uh, other things. Mm-hmm. Um, so maybe maybe just let's start with um, the, the restriction of the firearms itself. Um, when we talk about n- um, n- not allowing or, or not following any law that would restrict someone to access to firearms, uh, is that in just a very general, broad sense? Is there... Is there any any room for saying except in the case of? Absolutely, uh, the last well, second to last whereas clause actually sets forth the standard okay. of what that means. So, in the Constitution, think about um, free speech. I can't go into a crowded building and just start yelling fire. Sure. Right. I mean, everybody talks about that. There's funny movies that address mm-hmm. that sort of thing, or certain things said on an airplane. Yeah, there's a, you can't say bomb on an airplane. Right, exactly. Yeah, here we go. Meet the parents. <laughs> that's like, that's uh, so you you have there there are restrictions to even fundamental rights. Um, we are able to incarcerate people, basically uh, restrict their freedom entirely if they break certain laws. Right. So your right to be able to move about society can be restricted. Um, anyway, so I think people. Most people understand that there are certain limitations. There's not an open-ended right to really anything, even religion, if you think about that. Mm -hmm. I can't have the religion that my religion then requires me to birth puppies, kill them, and burn them out on the street. Could be a problem with that, right? (laughs) Um, Now, if that, but that's my fundamental right. I believe that I have to have that. No, our society isn't going to allow that expression of religion in that setting. So though, mm-hmm. ho- hopefully people can understand where we're coming from. And, and certainly with the second amendment, there, there are those things that we, we all agree on, but, but at what, where does the line get drawn? First of all, how, how does that agreement come about? I know that there's the national firearm act and, um, and, and certainly court cases, which lay out some precedent. But mm-hmm. if, if we, if the County is saying, um, we don't, we're not going to allow any restrictions on the ownership of firearms in our county. And yet there is some restrictions already in place based off of general public agreement. 
where is where is that found and uh, and identified in a way that meaning times change and mm-hmm. at what point in time does uh, the general populace agree that there should be maybe another kind of restriction placed on or one taken off. Uh, that's where I need to be educated a little bit. Is this all found within national acts or is this more of just everyone nods at each other and go, yeah, we agree that puppies shouldn't be killed. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a, it's a little of everything. Okay. Where it's couched though is in, the court's interpretation where they, the, okay. the, the Supreme court has defined fundamental rights and your constitutional rights are fundamental rights. Those things are expressly spelled out in the constitution that those fundamental rights, um, cannot be restricted unless it is the restrictions is, is narrowly tailored to protect a compelling state purpose. So there's key words there. One, okay. you have to deal with a fundamental right. Um, you don't have a fundamental right to like a picture of a firearm. It's the right to keep and bear arms, right? Not to have a photo of a firearm. Okay. That's one thing. Um, then people start addressing what does the word arms mean? Mm-hmm. Full of debate there, right? Oh yeah. Narrowly tailored. The courts have interpreted that as it has to be as restrictive as possible to not impede on the right. Okay. And then to address a compelling state interest. So not a state interest of, well, just public safety. No, it right. needs to be, we have a person who talks to invisible individuals and says, oh, you want me You want me to go into a store and start killing people? Right. Cool. I want to do that. They go into the store. They say, hey, my friend, Casper the ghost, <laughs> said I need to go in and kill people at a store. The store owner would say, I'm not selling you a firearm. That's kind of cuckoo. And so you get law enforcement involved. But you have these compelling, it's a compelling state interest, not just general state interest. That is so fact specific that there's right. probably not a way that you could address that. Sure. But in if one or two sentences, if, if there were, I mean, if the county is saying, uh, we want no restrictions against someone owning a firearm coming from the government, but if there was some new court case that followed all of, uh, this legalese, which said this was very narrowly tailored, it was compelling state interest. Um, the county in that case, what what's the reaction if suddenly there had to be some enforcement that was done here? This actually, I'll, I'll, I can kick this over to Commissioner Stringer, okay. but I'll, I'll just tee it up real quick. It came out in the public meetings when we were talking about this. Okay. With the, the sheriff, the county commission, county attorney's office, that we have always asserted that we are a law-abiding community. We have laws. Some laws we may not agree with. But when you're talking about fundamental rights, if there's a question, we're not going to enforce it. Now, if the Supreme Court comes in and says, this is a compelling state interest and it's Mm -hmm. narrowly tailored to address that, we're not telling everybody, hey, we, we don't care. We don't care what the executive branch says. We don't care what the legislative branch says. We don't care what the judicial branch says. We're going to do our own thing. We're a law-abiding community. But No, I, I would agree with that. What, what we're trying to say here is state legislatures and even Congress, the federal United States Congress, doesn't get it right all the time. They pass laws. And when the Supreme Court gets them, it's usually a constitutional issue 
right. that is at stake. So if the first round of this is from the state legislature, or let's say it's it's from county, county, a new county commission comes in and says, well, we're going to do this. Well, there's a law there that says we're, we're not going to. That was the previous county commission. But we referred to the Second Amendment and the fundamental right. So if they pass that, if they pass something that seemed contrary to that, then I would assume there would be those that would say, we have to challenge you on that. So whether that's an individual or in this case, it's the county that is looking at the state or even the federal government for that matter. And if they, if something comes down that in our estimation is at odds with what the way we have said, this is how we look at the second amendment, we protect that fundamental right in this county, the law that was passed and it was passed and it was signed by the governor, well, that's a state law. It's not constitutional in our estimation. So we're going to appeal that. Okay. But when the Supreme Court weighs in, they are the arbiters of the Constitution. And if they say, no, they did get it right, then we adjust. Okay. But up until they do, if we have that concern, then we would be litigating. Right. And, and what this ordinance then does for you is it acts as the instrument for that litigation to say, well, we have our, we've got our own law that says that what you're bringing to the table is... I, yeah, I, I don't even yeah. know that we would need, this is not necessary for us to take on a state law that we believed okay. was unconstitutional, but we, and we know that we can't legislate away the state's rights to prepare legislation, pass legislation, but we are making it clear to everyone involved, to the world at large, that that's the way we look at it, and that is what okay. we are prepared to defend. W one point on that. So we we received a number of different drafts from and, and other ordinance from other jurisdictions. We were the first one in the state of Utah. That's one thing that Commissioner Haslam was, was really pushing. He he wanted you and a county to be the first county in the in the state to have this, which was an, a great goal, and and we accomplished it. There were versions that w that we received that went way too far about how a local ordinance is gonna stand up against a state law, it's gonna stand up against an act of Congress. Right. Well, local v. state, we lose. <laughs> local local v. Um, federal, we lose. I'll, typical, we'll have to put some constraints on that. We sure. win sometimes. Yeah. But on something like this, we're gonna lose. What we did is we addressed our ordinance to say, no, we're passing a local ordinance saying we're supporting the U.S. Constitution. Okay. The controlling law is the U.S. Constitution. It's not the local ordinance. We're just saying local resources, local employment, local, you, you cannot, we cannot enforce things that do not abide to the Constitution. So when we received a little bit of criticism um, when this was being addressed, people thought, you know, maybe we were puffing up our, our, our feathers a little bit and and trying to take on more than a local government actually could. And we kept saying, we're just looking to the Constitution. That's the controlling law of the land. Mm -hmm. And so that's how we got around that. I I won't call out any specific jurisdictions, but I, th I think they went a little too far on theirs because 
They wanted it local v the world. Right. And that's just not going to happen. Right. Um, so we are the first county in Utah to be designated with this Second Amendment uh, sanctuary designation, designation for uh, firearms. Um, how many, uh, just generally speaking, in the United States, do, do you know how many there are? And, and have any other Utah counties followed suit since then? Yes, uh, I, I don't have it off the top of my head of how many counties now, and, and uh, I think there have been some municipalities that have okay. kicked it around. There is there is a map though. If if people look online, there's a up to date map. You know, we just look up sanctuary county, sanctuary cities on okay. Second Amendment, and there, there's a map that keeps track of it. I, I do going back to how we opened this discussion. I believe it was overshadowed by COVID, but therefore a while into February, there were, we were receiving calls and we were getting requests for our, our language from other states um, that it became a bigger deal. And, and it's not like it was a new issue. This, as, as, as John pointed out, we didn't reinvent the wheel. We mm. were just emphasizing that the constitution is our guidance. It just became um, an issue because of states like Virginia. And so when our folks start looking around, and it was in the news, all over the news, if they had any concerns, we were addressing them. And so there were other parts of the country doing the same thing. I don't know if any states declared themselves. At one point, I thought Wyoming was considering a statewide or if it was left to counties and municipalities. But as this was gathering steam, it was overshadowed. So I frankly lost track. I do know that this happened during legislature, Utah legislature last year, and it was a big discussion item. And there were lots of counties that were saying, we, we wanna do that, we wanna do that. But unfortunately, on several levels, all of that discussion was subsumed by a pandemic. Yeah, it's amazing how much changed right at that point in time. Yes. Yep. Uh, okay, so before I head on to our uh, our next question or, or moving on, maybe we're going to get a little more, uh, take the next uh, portion of the ordinance and talk about it. Uh, let's take a, a quick ad break here and let's tell you about Carl's Carpet. Carl with a K. Carl's Carpet uh, is the Uinta Basin's premier installer of flooring, window coverings, and custom organizers. They've been family-owned and operated for over 50 years. For free estimate, go see them today in Roosevelt or on the web at Carl's with a K. That's carlscarpet.com. Also, some new exciting stuff that I didn't even know was in the works. Uh, Channel V6, that's us has delivered high school sports, local news, and local events to Basin residents for years. Now, everything offered on the website is available in the palm of your hand through the new Channel V6 mobile app. You can watch sports or other events live as they happen, or view them on demand at your convenience all on your mobile device. You can even receive alerts when a live event or breaking news is happening. You can find it on the App Store for iOS or Android today. I think that's pretty cool because... How, especially with the coverage that V6 does of of sporting events, and you never know where you're going to be, be able to just pull that baby out and watch it like it's the NFL, which it's really close to it. 
It's better. It's, it's better than the <laughs> NFL. All right. Um, okay, so we had we had touched on on the restriction of firearms as a portion uh, of the ordinance, and um, there were there were several other things. I'd I'd like to move on to to the registration or the the tracking um, because I know that. Um, when I have purchased a firearm in Utah, there's a process you have to go through. Um, I, I have, um, uh, I, I did when I lived here, um, a con- concealed carry license, which allowed me to be able to purchase the gun quicker, uh, because they'd already done a background check. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe if you don't have one of those, you do have to go through a background check of some sort in order to purchase a firearm. Is that true? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So when we're talking about not registering or, or having uh, any laws that require the registering, we're not necessarily talking about what happens when you buy the firearm. That was one question that um, some of our local dealers, uh, gun, gun dealerships, they actually had that question going, whoa, is this going to affect my business? Because mm-hmm. I have to, under ATF regs, they have to track that point of sale. Um, so our sheriff's office, county attorney's office had um, limited conversation, but we knew that that point was addressed and it was a concern to our local businesses. So we specifically excluded the point of sale type of registration. John okay. Doe bought this shotgun. There you go. You you got your record of it. And then the business has the requirement under their federal uh, firearms, firearms uh, license. They have to send that in. So on the on that point of sale, yeah, the the world basically is going to know that John Doe purchased that purchased firearm. a shotgun. What we're talking then is when you're going additional registration, like like um, what? Almost like a, a tracking program okay. that that continues, where if you have to report every year what firearms you still own. So let's say I I have accumulated, and I'll make this up because I don't want the world to know what kind of firearms I own. Sure, I do own firearms. And, and proudly do and, and like um, to recreate and do stuff. I've seen them. a Facebook post of yours that was really cool. I'll leave it at that. <laughs> yeah. From today. Yeah, it was amazing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, and and that, was with, <laughs> that was with my shotgun. Uh, so anyway, what we're talking about is those types of ongoing registration requirements. So the government being able to come in, you know, let's say knock on the door, hey, Mr. Sturmer, we're here for the annual checkup to see how you're doing with your firearm ownership. We had that you, our records are showing you have owned these six firearms in the past. We need to f- see where those six firearms are. That, that kind of Im- impediment on your own personal life. Um, is, is, this we, just we a, is this just a precautionary, um, you know, we think this something could happen or is there any kind of historical truth to this kind of thing coming to the surface where there's been any kind of legislation that's tried I, to make it to that point? I, I believe when about the same time this was happening, Colorado might have had a proposal. I don't know how far it went, but I do recall there was another state besides Virginia that was motivating us. And one of the things that I... I don't want to say this is absolutely true, but I do believe there was discussion about on this registration issue that you couldn't buy a gun and give it as a present. So if you 
wanted to give your son or daughter. When when I was growing up, I got a 22 for my seventh birthday. I've got a, a 243 when I was 12, things like that. And we know if you buy it, it's you. It it you. I know this might have been aimed at at gun shows where they were saying, well, we can't track at gun shows. So the there was concern that some of the laws that were being considered would impinge upon even a private individual where you couldn't buy one and give it to your brother in another state or even in that state. You had to be able to, to say, no, you bought it, you have it. So I, there was some discussion about that. I don't know that it made it very far, but it was going on about the same time because I said it's been long enough ago and with so many so much water under the bridge yeah. there was another state that was causing us some concern with some of their ideas now there's it's interesting cuz um i i'm i'm like i said i'm not educated enough on this but i was under the impression that if you were to transfer the ownership of a gun to someone else that there was some sort of documentation that had to occur is that not the case not, maybe not, in other, maybe in other states, but not in Utah. Mm. If I if I buy a far, firearm and the next day want to give it to my brother, I I'm just within just, my legal rights to do so. Just make sure your brother's not a restricted person. Yes, because <laughs> there are specific statutes, and see that's that's where we would say that is a compelling state interest. Okay, if your brother Jack, I don't even, I sure. don't even know if you let's, have a brother. Let's call him Jack. Okay, I like that. So your brother Jack is a restricted person, felon, okay. dangerous person tons of domestic violence issues on their record. And Jack comes to you and says, hey, I got 500 bucks. You can go buy me a firearm. And you go buy it, and then you go turn it over to Jack. Mm -hmm. Jack goes and commits a crime with that firearm. Somebody's going to be knocking on your door. Okay. Uh, because we have laws in place that, that prohibit that. Okay. And that would be a compelling state interest. We don't want people who, you know, a lawful restriction. They're not supposed to have the gun. Right. But they get aunt, uncle, grandpa, brother, somebody, best friend, to go get the gun for them. And there have been, again, some very unfortunate events in our country where that has happened. Right. Um, and then the you know the family member or best friend, well, I didn't know they were going to do that. Well, come to find out they did. They, you know, they have text messages. They have mm -hmm. social media posts. They have verbal conversations where they knew that person was up to no good. They gave him the firearm anyway. But if the state were to introduce some sort of requirement to um, have someone who's who's transferring a firearm to state that the person that they are handing it to is not a restricted individual, that, based off of this ordinance, would go beyond um, that. That wouldn't fit within that uh, compelling interest because now you're now you're taking someone's rights as far as I mean, I, I'm just trying to I'm trying to think of of what would be the response of the county if the state came out with um, some sort of form that said hey by the way in order to make sure that who you're giving it to is not somebody who shouldn't have it every firearm must now go through this process how how does the county's ordinance deal with that? guess it would depend on the way the law was written <laughs> silence here here's here's the thing on that um 
could there be some level of tracking regarding certain people in our society, whether they are dangerous, known criminals, whether they are somebody who unfortunately has a severe mental illness? Um, could the state draft up a narrowly tailored statute to address the transfer of firearms or the restriction of transfer right. to that individual? I think it's probably possible that they could. See, I'm qualifying it like crazy. Right, right. But I think it is possible that a legislature could get the proper language. What happened in Virginia, though, is they were just going way too broad where okay. you're just like, who, who's the arbiter of that? Okay. Who, who decides? Um, and that's where the, the county, how we would address it, if we felt like it went too far, we would say, no, the courts need to, courts need to work that out first before we'll enforce it. Okay. And if courts come in and say, legislature did their job, narrowly tailored, compelling state interest, this is this past constitutional muster. All right. Then we're law-abiding. We're law-abiding, and then, and then it comes. Yep, and, and, and we'll support it. Okay. Uh, they, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting because, you know, the, the legal speak of an ordinance is, is so specific that it's sometimes hard to get the heart of what's behind it. And, and maybe this is a reason why it's important for people to be involved in their civic duties. Um, but, uh, you know, a, a, as we're going through this, the, I'm, I'm seeing more and more that the intent of this um, is, is much deeper than just what the words are saying. Do, do you find or have you found that people have misinterpreted the intent and I, I know that COVID all happened right about then, but you said yeah. you were getting phone calls from people from different municipalities who were interested in maybe um, mirroring what you had done. But on the converse side, did you have those who thought you guys are you guys are off your rockers? I, I had some phone calls from some residents that thought it was just a political stunt, and um, along that line of saying, you know, you, you can't pass a local ordinance that's going to um, overcome state or federal law. Right. And that's actually, and, and I appreciate those comments because in almost all instances, I agree yeah. with, with that. That's why we wrote ours to tie it straight to the constitution. We're not trying to create a new law under some no. different paradigm. Uh, constitution, Supreme Court law of the land. Uh, legislature has to follow it and rules have to follow legislation. There's a, there's a nice hierarchy in, in our, in our, um, rule of law. Yeah. And that's what we want people to follow. Right. Well, all I was going to say is in a time where there, you see assault on all kinds of our, what has been tradition or the way things have been in the United States. And when you see Virginia doing what it appeared like they were doing, I think some of it failed at the end because I think a Democratic senator wouldn't go along. So some of them did fail. So that must tell you something. It, it's one thing to say, oh, that'll never happen here. So no, no, our, our folks know better. Our, that could never happen here. I think sometimes it's fine to say, just for the record, 
this is where we stand on that. So I, I don't know what's going on in the world. I don't know the last time this question was asked, or maybe it's never been asked, but this is where we stand. We're not rewriting the Constitution, not trying to. This is how we read and understand the Constitution. So if you're, an, if you're a resident of Uinta County, there's your answer. It's like setting a mile marker saying, maybe the last time you heard from the county on this was 1916. Now, now we have something else to go back to since that point in time. Um, well, one, one other thing, too, is, you know, the lay of the legal landscape is one legislature, one, one president, one governor away from changing, right? Mm -hmm. you're, you're always one election away right. from potential policy shifts in local government, state government, you know, any, any form of government. That's one of the beauties and one of the terrifying things of living in the type of open society that we live in. So yeah, staking our, putting our flag where we, we want to staking our position. Um, that's, that's what we did. And, and we understand, um, it, it could all switch in one election. Right. It also wouldn't come up if, if Virginia hadn't done what they done, had done, and COVID came along, I doubt seriously if we would have in April or May stood up and said, by the way, this is our position on the Second Amendment. It was timely. Right. It was in context. Yeah. And that's, I said, and, it's and, not something we're just looking to, what should we pass this week? And, <laughs> right. and, and one thing too, yeah, with that, we talked about a little bit before we got started. Um, it was very timely. And we were going to have this discussion much earlier than the whole world just started crumbling. It, it felt like, I mean, March is, that's not a March I want to go through again. Yeah. And a lot of uncertainty. And so the optics of talking about this, when there all of a sudden a much bigger issue came out with our economic mm -hmm. outlook with um, obviously people getting sick, getting hospitalized, and then the political um gerrymandering that went on in uh skewing that started happening it, it just it didn't feel right and it kind of lost its national yeah uh voice but it, this is still a very pertinent topic and i think i wouldn't be surprised in 2021 my my wilted tea leaves and and, and cracked crystal ball are telling me the topic's going to come up again yeah yeah, certainly. And then and then people will have this podcast to go to. Yeah, they'll have you know, it. At any point in time. Yep. And certainly we should probably have you guys come back and maybe bring public health in as well and talk about uh, some of the bigger issues that have happened since March. Um, we'll save that for another time. Jumping back to um, Sanctuary County, uh, I just want to make sure that I that we touched on all of the um, all of the points of the ordinance. And I know that there was an that another point was um, not having restrictions on um, accessories, ammunition, magazines, that kind of thing. Can you maybe go in a little more in depth on, on what that means? Can we jump in? Sure. Um, there are probably people, even within our community, that thinks it's completely lawful to own a tank, completely lawful to own heat-seeking missiles, uh, RPGs, fighter jets, whatever. That's probably not where the Supreme Court would go down on the definition of right to keep and bear arms. So where is that line? Right. Where do you draw that line? That's what the national debate is all about. Yeah. 
there are very few people who are saying you have to take away every single thing that can be a weapon. Right. If, if I were Chuck Norris and I have this pen, <laughs> I would wipe out everybody in this room in like 2.5 seconds, right? With a pen. Um, I can't do that. I trip and fall and strangle myself with the, the wires around my head. Um, so where do you draw that line? Mm -hmm. Again, going back to, we're going to go with what the Supreme court says on accessories. So if, if they determine that certain accessories, because th there are upheld laws on automatic weapons that say, you, you know, you cannot own an automatic weapon, right? Those have been upheld in certain contexts. Okay. If they come in and say this accessory has now turned that into an automatic weapon, so we're going to say, no, that's a compelling state interest. It can be restricted. We'll, we'll follow it. Um, Are you saying that that hasn't happened yet? In in certain jurisdictions, it has. There, there are jurisdictions that have banned bump stocks and, okay. and stuff like that. Um, it's still moving through the, the court process. And, and that's just one example. That's the one that caught all the headlines because it was... It was an accessory in one of the tragic events. I believe it was the one in Las Nevada, Vegas. right? It was the in, Las, in Vegas, Las Vegas yeah. one. So it grabbed a lot of headlines right. and probably rightfully so. Um, I don't want anything to be interpreted that we're downplaying the tragedies that have played out with, with firearms uh, and just violent people. I should say it's not firearms, with violent people using tools um, to commit a lot of harm. But that is one example. If people say, well, what are you talking about? When we say accessories... Well, just mention bump stocks and then people were like, oh, okay, I know what you're talking about. There's okay. a debate going on on whether or not that is actually turning it into an automatic weapon or if it's just kind of speeding up what the weapon would be doing anyway. Okay. A, a semi-automatic that ha takes a certain action to chamber a new round right. as opposed to just the weapon itself chambering all those rounds for you immediately. And, and, and as of right now, because that debate is not settled through the Supreme Court, the county's position is we, we don't touch it. Meaning if you, if you buy one or if you want one, or if you have one, that's not, we're, we're not going to get involved in that right now. No. But if that were to change, if there did come out a Supreme Court ruling or otherwise that was compelling narrowly, all of your words. <laughs> um, would the county's position on this then change? We're law-abiding. Yes. Yep. Okay, yeah, just getting back to what you had said before. Mm -hmm. um, so, w again, the bump stock um, issue feels like it's on the, the very edge of, of what this encapsulates, but certainly there are a lot more accessories um, that have uh, been restricted in other states let me throw out another one. Sure. Um, exploding ammunition. Okay. Or exploding targets. So, which way are you going? What are you shooting? Or what's you know what projectile is coming out? Mm -hmm. There's a compelling state interest where during fire seasons, it's hey, you are you are not shooting a firearm right now out on the public land. Mm -hmm. The compelling state interest is we don't want a raging fire, you know, ripping through the hills and taking out people's cabins and right. and, and killing people. That is a legitimate compelling state interest where we are limiting the use of certain a, a firearm of or certain types of ammunition. So that's, that's another okay. one that's come up in, in fact, um, I don't want to again, put words in people's mouths who aren't here, but I, I know our fire district, uh, did talk about that a little bit back in January when this was coming up, uh, you know, with, 
we live in a tender box mm-hmm. on our hillsides quite a bit. And so we got to be able to watch that and make sure we're not exploding things when it can just go out of control. Right. But because the ordinance doesn't specifically talk about every single possible accessory, uh, is the conversation that we're having um, about the compelling state interest, about it being narrowly defined, is that held in the ordinance in a way that future commissioners who come in and go, well, this is the ordinance we pass, understand? A lot of accessories are actually controlled by ATF anyway. So if you, in this case, let's talk about um, silencers or suppressors. So you can own one, but you have to go through the process to obtain one. And it is onerous. You, it's not, you just don't walk in and go, yeah, give me that one. So there are policies, there are a lot of the, and I think even machine guns, uh, fully automatic, uh, you can shoot one, you can go rent one from, uh, there was a place in, in Phoenix and then there's Las Vegas. If you own one, you can, it's very much tracked and, and it is followed because of what it is. But there, I don't think there are any new, there's no new sales or new production, new sales, but existing ones are still there. They're just tracked. So we would abide by that. It doesn't mean that a, a, I don't think that we are looking to exceed ATF's requirements. So there are people in, in the community that have suppressors. There are people that may have ma- machine guns, but they are not monitored by us. They would be treated as a, as a shotgun if they were used in a crime or something else. But if someone obtained a silencer uh, illegally, we would assist ATF, uh, we would report it, we would check it if we brought someone in and to be sure that it was legal, but if it was, that's not a violation. So I, when it comes to things like that, we're, we're gonna end up deferring because we're not setting the standard for these um, modifications. Well, the, the difficulty is, is we, you can't draft an ordinance that will address every aspect of the creative mind. The patent office back east is full of patents of people who are coming up with different ideas relating to firearms, different weapons. So to try and draft an ordinance that would get ahead of the the creative mind, it's impossible. I mean, sure. I mean, just look at what John Browning did 150 years ago and the advancements he made in, in firearms. We have very creative people who are probably working in their shop at home right now, coming up with magnificent ideas. Right. This doesn't, it, 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 you can't address it that way. I mean, sure. Um, and, and that's why I, I, I posed the question. Um, a lot of the pushback that I was seeing um, in, in the very short research that I did, it, it was a, a very knee-jerk reaction to uh, the, the, the three main things that the ordinance laid out as far as no restrictions, uh, no accessory, no um, registration tracking. Um, I think there was one more, wasn't there? It's person, person, sell, an object. Okay, person, sell, an object. Yep. 
um, the pushback seems to be taking the words of those by themselves and then basically interpreting that in in the harshest way without understanding, again, the heart behind it. What I'm getting from from you gentlemen as we've been talking is this idea that, look, we're law-abiding and we're going to follow the laws as long as the laws have gone through the proper process. And if they haven't and are against the Constitution, then we don't recognize them. My question again, I'll, I'll repeat, is within the ordinance, is that clearly stated in a way that future commissioners or anyone else getting a hold of it, when they really take the time to read it, understand that it's not just, guess what, no restrictions, guess what, uh, all um, accessories go, but that there's there's this understanding of, of, of the heart behind those words. We, we do refer to the Supreme Court's refining decision in there, don't we? Is that- there, yeah, there's a citation to some Supreme Court precedent on it. I, th- I think where it really comes down, the, the enforcement language, I guess the meat of it, what does the ordinance actually do? Here, here's what, It's in the prohibitions. It, it really gets down to, so it says, notwithstanding any other law, regulation, rule, or order to the contrary, no agent, department, employee, or official of Uinta County, a political subdivision of the state of Utah, while acting in their official capacity, shall knowingly and willfully participate in any way in the enforcement of any unlawful act. That's stuff that we were just talking about regarding personal firearms, firearm accessories, or ammunition, and utilize any Uinta County assets, funds, or funds allocated by any entity to Uinta County in whole and apart to engage in any activity that aids in the enforcement or investigation relating to an unlawful act in connection with personal firearms, firearms accessories, or ammunition. So our ordinance is addressing we will not have local government take part take part in those unlawful acts. Okay. That that yeah, that that definitely clears it up for me. Because we it, we do have there are certain exceptions. If if somebody wants to voluntarily register their gun somewhere or register as a firearm person on a website, mm-hmm. I don't care. You know, as as a county right. Uh, as one of the county attorneys, I I don't care if somebody wants to voluntarily do it. We're saying county resources, county employees the power of local government will not be complicit in an unlawful act. This has been, I don't, I don't know about our listeners, um, but this has been fascinating to me. Uh, it's, it's really interesting to, to dive down in and get um, a much deeper look. You know, sometimes, especially on, on local government levels, you get just little tiny pieces through media and uh, I'm just grateful that you guys have been willing to come and, and have this longer discussion. Is there anything else that uh, a listening audience member uh, that we haven't covered that, that you would want to make sure that was clear uh, about this ordinance? About the only thing I would say, since John brought up, we read the exact language of it. When you hear the word sanctuary, the way it's used nowadays, most of the time you hear it, it's the complete opposite of what, what, the way we're using it. When you hear sanctuary city, you're talking about a city who is knowingly ignoring federal law and is st- impeding justice, is, is trying to avoid being law-abiding. They're not. So sanctuary cities are not law-abiding. What we're saying is, 
this is a sanctuary for the law. We will follow it here. That's what it needs to be. It's not the way it's being used um, in other, more generally throughout the country. It's kind of a humorous uh, pushback to the sanctuary city on uh, immigration issues and stuff right. like that. And we're, yeah. A, a purposeful it's taking, choice it's in taking words to their, take the word exactly. back in, in, a, yeah. in, a, in a different way. Yeah. We, we want this word to mean that. <laughs> yeah. All right, gentlemen, thank you so very much. Once again, uh, our guests, Bill Stringer, Una County Commissioner, Jonathan Sturmer, Chief Deputy, Una County Attorney. Thank you so much for being here and, and taking the time out of your day. And of course, thank you all for listening to the Channel V6 podcast. Make sure to subscribe and leave us a five-star review on your favorite podcast platform. And if you have any questions or comments, please send us an email. You can do that at podcast at channelv6.com. Thank you again. I'm David Gale, and uh, hopefully you guys have you guys back. Thank you, Perfect. David. Thank you very Appreciate much. Appreciate it.